On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla Motors unofficial podcast, the P100D's new ludicrous plus Easter egg could be even more potent than originally thought. The supercharger credit system rolls out with full details. Elon Musk reveals a few of his favorite video games and more. Welcome, everybody, to episode 76 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla Motors unofficial podcast for January 15th, 2017. Ryan McCaffrey joined by a uh, snuggling, resting comfortably Maggie the Boxer. And uh, I apologize to the patrons this week for not getting your early access particularly early. I was in Arizona all week for uh, a really interesting thing. I'll make this quick because I know you want to get on with the Tesla news, but I was given quite the uh, surprise gift over the holidays, uh, and I was given a a trip to Diamondbacks, uh, that's my favorite baseball team in Arizona, the Diamondbacks Fantasy Camp, where you basically go and play baseball with a bunch of uh, people also over 30. You get a full uniform, like the real major league uniform, you're in a you're in the spring training facility in the real clubhouse, and you got ex-players out there as coaches. It's a whole baseball experience for a week, and boy, it was something else. If you are a baseball fan, like a serious baseball fan, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, so just file that away for later if you're a baseball fan. But that's I just got back on Saturday, so getting the show done Saturday night here. Uh, for most of you, obviously, the show will appear on time. So with that out of the way, uh, let's move on. So first up this week in the Tesla news, it's kind of an interesting potpourri of stuff this week, which I guess isn't unlike a lot of weeks. The goalposts on ludicrous mode continue to get moved back, or I suppose would it be moved forward? I'm not quite sure how you'd look at it. So the the uh, Easter egg that's been promised for the P100Ds that was going to shave a tenth of a second off, it is beginning to push out to the first handful of cars, and it's being referred to by Elon as Ludicrous Plus. And this is what Elon had to say about it on Twitter, saying, quote, Promising early results from the Ludicrous Easter egg. Looks like 0 to 60 miles per hour in 2.34 seconds by Motor Trend spec, might be achievable. (laughs) 2.34. Oh my goodness. By Motor Trend spec, by the way, he's referring to the car having a one-foot rollout uh, before slamming the accelerator to do that 0-60 to run. One one other interesting note about this Easter egg, uh, which, by the way, if you uh, are getting, have, or plan to get a P100D, you're going to activate that by holding down the ludicrous button on the that screen where you know you choose between sport and ludicrous, hold down that button for a few seconds, and then you're going to see the warp space, uh, you know, Star Trek warping through space, warp speed graphic come up on the screen, and then after that, a prompt will come up. It's a warning screen actually, that's half serious and in typical Tesla fashion. Half kind of funny and jokey as well. It says, Are you sure you want to push the limits? This will cause accelerated wear of the motor, 
gearbox, and battery. And your choices are, no, I want my mommy, or yes, bring it on, with an exclamation mark. So what I find interesting about that is, I think it's cool of Tesla to make, make it very, very clear to the end user that, hey, this really is pushing the limits, doing this all the time really isn't great for your car, but you know, if you want to wring every last drop of performance out of this thing, we are giving you the, the ability to do that with this little Easter egg. You know, because by, by Easter egg standards, that's one of the easiest ones you could possibly ever hope for to activate. I mean, just holding a button for a few seconds. You know, you could, if some dude lines up against you at a stoplight, you know, and there's absolutely nobody around, nothing but straight, clear road in front of you, you know, and it's a safe spot to, to maybe take somebody off the line. You can absolutely cue that up by the time the light turns green. But um, I will say, I, I can't imagine anyone would. Well, you know, well, I, what I guess what I'm trying to say is, well, I appreciate the warning from Tesla there and the transparency. I can't really imagine that anyone would be using it so often as for it to actually have a tangible, tangible negative effect on the car and its systems and its parts and its, its bits and pieces. And by the way, you also get a new instrument cluster option because you know how on the, the both the left and right sides of the the uh, speedometer there in the in the instrument cluster, you can you can choose between you know you can display your music, you can display na uh, maps, navigation, you can display energy graph usage. So when you activate this Easter egg, it'll also give you a new choice for. Uh, a display on, on the instrument cluster, and that's readouts. And what that does is it shows you uh, a pretty raw version. It's, you know, it's not really dressed up, prettied up. It shows you a bunch of figures. It shows you battery power, front and rear motor power, longitudinal, uh, and the last one, longitudinal acceleration, which in the video I watched from uh, Brooks at Drag Times, who always seems to be on top of these these performance-related things, it it peaks in his video. He does a two-point, I think it was four-six or so, or uh, two. Yeah, I believe that was correct. About two point four six seconds, and he get, he peaks at eleven point two meters per second squared on the on that longitudinal acceleration. Now. As you probably remember from school, gravity is 9.8 meters per second squared. So you are, in fact, going uh, somewhat significantly faster than gravity when you are slamming the pedal down in a ludicrous P100T Model X. Or I should say ludicrous plus, I guess. 11.2 meters per second squared. That is, that is impressive. That, yeah, that's over... Yeah, that's well over 10% better. That's probably uh, closer to 15. Actually, yeah, maybe even closer to 20% faster than gravity. So uh, that is crazy, and that is yet just yet another advancement from Tesla. As, uh, as you know, it just what is it? Just last week, I think I talked about the uh, Faraday Future and how they're you know the the FF91 that they want to build that they're taking free reservations for as well as the their sort of equivalent of signature reservations signature editions and you know i was speculating that that car if they were to actually build it with everything they said it would probably be a 200 plus thousand dollar car because one of the things they said was 
you know, this this 130 kilowatt hour battery car would be would have 2.3 second or uh, or 2.4 sorry second acceleration or no sorry 2.39 I remember now, and so Elon's already got almost it sounds like by the, if I'm interpreting his tweet correctly almost by accident it's two point he's looking at 2.34 seconds so uh, yeah before Faraday can even get their prototype rolled out of rolled home from CES Elon's already you know already already got it topped and by the way just as a interesting little note I did speculate last week that if Faraday built that car as is it would probably be 200 grand and now reports this week that it might actually be closer to three hundred thousand dollars so um again hope they build it i mean it looks like you know it'd be a heck of a machine if they could build it but uh that is that is going to be uh, out of probably even many tesla owners price range uh not just certainly certainly it's out of mine anyway uh next item this week just a fun little thing or rather uh i wanted to go to and that is elon musk the video game player he, uh, Elon, like me, and probably a decent number of you, does play games. He's a gamer. The Y Combinator podcast got a chance to sit down with Elon semi-recently and asked him about his favorite game. So I thought, this is a short clip. If you're not a gamer, no biggie. Uh, but just sort of, even if you're not a gamer, this shows you, again, another side of Elon Musk and sort of what, what, what he does. He does like to play games in those rare, very rare, rare times when he's not working at SpaceX or at Tesla, or at OpenAI, or on, uh, you know, this one or that one. So here's Elon talking about, just for, just for a minute or two here, about some of his favorite video games. I'm looking for a new video game to play. Can you give me a recommendation? Overwatch. I play Overwatch. Yeah, that's Anything great. else? Um, Overwatch is amazing. Overwatch is amazing, yeah. Generally, Blizzard does great stuff. Um, well, there's Hearthstone. I haven't tried that one yet. Yeah. I know people love it. That's what my kids play the most, is Hearthstone. All right. Also from Blizzard. Um, I will check that out tonight. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for the time. I know you've got to get going. Cool. Do, do you play anything besides Overwatch? I mean, um, have you tried the new Deus Ex? Oh. I have tried the new Deus Ex. The it's best, okay, but like... like it's... The best game I played recently, and it's not a super new game, is The Last of Us. Oh, is it really? It's from a couple of years ago. Sure. I loved it. Okay, Last of Us. Yeah. You like that too? <laughs> is it really good? It's Uncharted too. Uh, yeah, I've heard good things about Uncharted. Really, The Last of Us storytelling like that in a video game. I mean, honestly, like, I think that that's really neglected. I mean, that's the, the criticism I heard of the latest Deus Ex, is the story, storytelling is, is kind of lame. And, like, whereas the one, the, the prior Deus Ex, and the original, the original Deus Ex was, the storytelling was amazing. I don't know if anybody's played, have you, did you play the original Deus Ex? <laughs> that was killer. Yeah. As games have become more like the replacement for the NFL, I think the storytelling just gets generally neglected. So yeah. it was like especially striking to play one that was like absolutely cinematic yeah. storytelling. Um, yeah, and some of the oldest games, the, 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 the graphics and sound were terrible, so they had to rely the story on storytelling. So yeah. Like the old Mario games had an mm-hmm. incredible story. Yeah. So Elon there mentioning Overwatch, which by the way uh, is IGN's Game of the Year. That was what we voted for 2016. Not my personal choice, but we as a team did indeed vote Overwatch from Blizzard uh, as, as our game of the year for 2016. You heard Elon mention Deus Ex Mankind Divided being, he sort of mentions it being okay. Uh, that, I've play, played a bit of it. It's, it's excellent. It's, 
it's it is sort of it's very open ended, which is cool. And Elon also mentions that he adores the original Deus Ex, which for me is a genuinely a top five all time game. The original Deus Ex is sort of the the first, the prototypical, and possibly still one of the best uh, sort of just open ended games that that lets you really approach things in any number of ways. And in fact, Elon's tweet about, or rather, sorry, pardon me, that statement about about the original Deus Ex caught the eye of the original Deus Ex's creator, a man who, in my opinion, is as legendary in the game design field as Elon Musk is in his multiple fields. And that uh, gentleman is named Warren Spector, who I've had the pleasure of, of speaking with and visiting uh, at his studio a number of times over the years. And Warren tweeted out, Just heard you liked Deus Ex. Proud to hear it. I'm a fan of your work too. Smiley, uh, smiley face in his tweet. Which I thought that was just a really cool thing. That, you know, uh, Another, you know, two people that are very well respected in their fields, even if they don't know each other, just sort of a, a mutual respect there. Warren, by the way, if, if you're not familiar with Warren Spector or Deus Ex, just I would say that the best summary of Warren Spector is that he was part of a studio called Looking Glass Studios, which in my humble opinion, because I was sitting down making my notes for this week's show, and the, the thought hit me. I was like, man, wait, Looking Glass was the Beatles of game design. And, and I know that's a ridiculous thing to say for a lot of people, but it, it, the comparison is apt in my opinion. It's a, it's a game development studio that was made up of legendary talent. Just people that... Uh, Warren Spector, Ken Levine being another famous alumni who's gone on to do the Bioshock series, among other many uh, great things. But Looking Glass was an incredible studio with amazing talent that had a, a legendary portfolio, but they broke up way too soon. And they, they didn't end up staying together as a studio for super long. So, uh, yeah, Warren Spector, just a great figure in the games industry. Can't imagine he'll hear this, but I, I have had the pleasure of telling them that to his face before. But, uh, yeah, it's cool to hear that Elon still, he still finds a little free time, to, which is good, because you know, it's, it's important to balance yourself out, even if you're working as hard as Elon does on some of the world's biggest problems and, and biggest challenges. Uh, it's, it's, I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear. I'm really happy for him to hear that he finds time to play Overwatch and that his, he plays Hearthstone with his kids. So I thought that was really cool. Next up this week, the Supercharger credit system is fully detailed now. Uh, for those of you who may have missed it a few shows back or so, the supercharger system is changing. You will know the cars will no longer be including free unlimited supercharging for life. Instead, here is how it's going to go, and it's it's mostly what we'd already heard, what I'd already reported on on the previous podcast. We've got some additional details now. So, you will indeed get 400 kilowatt hours worth of free supercharging per year, and that will renew annually. So it's it. That, that date starts and refreshes at the anniversary of whatever your delivery date is. So if you take delivery of your car on July 1st, then you're July 1st to June 30th of the following year, and then it renews. The unused credits do not roll over, by the way. 
And, and as previously mentioned, that 400 kilowatt hours is about the equivalent of a thousand miles worth of driving. Via, uh, so Electrek notes, the company confirmed that it determined the amount based on current usage of the supercharger network, and they came to the conclusion that 400 kilowatt hours covers the annual long distance driving needs of the majority of Tesla owners. So more details here, additional supercharger juice, once you use your 400 kilowatt hour allotment each year, that's gonna be billed at a rate that is comparable to that state's uh, or provinces, or I guess in Europe, uh, you know, uh, country or state, uh, just region. Let's call it region for a nice, nice, easy, generic term. For your your region's uh, electricity rates. So the full list of states and those the prices within those states and provinces and regions is at Tesla.com/support. Slash supercharging. For ex- in California, for example, because I know uh, the, a large number of my listeners, including myself, are in fact in California. So we're going to be billed at 20 cents per kilowatt hour. Again, once you've exhausted that 400 kilowatt hours per year, it's going to cost us about 20 cents per mile in California. Now, that's at tier two. So the higher speed supercharging. Now, as you may know, if, you're, if a supercharger station is almost full and you plug in on a supercharger stall that's, that somebody's already on, you're going to go slower because it's just that's, it, you know, that's just the way the superchargers work. There's only so much juice that can get kicked out at a time. And uh, if the person that got there first will get the higher speed uh, charging. So... If you're getting the higher speed charging at your supercharger, it's 20 cents per kilowatt hour. Or, But if you're get the, getting the slower charging, it'll just cost you half of that, 10 cents per kilowatt hour. To put that in perspective for you, Tesla notes that that's about $15 to drive from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Again, if you've already exhausted your free uh, annual allotment of 400 kilowatt hours, and you still need to go from San Francisco to LA or vice versa, it's going to cost you approximately $15, which, again, uh, that's... Even if you've got a decently fuel-efficient car that can do that on one, maybe, you know, with one fill-up, that's still, you know, probably... At at gas rates now, you're looking... I mean, that's probably... That's still probably a third of what it would cost you uh, of course, that depends wildly on the vehicle, but yeah, that's that's still pretty affordable. Also, I wanted to add a correction as part of this story, and it is through really no one's fault. Uh, I reported last week via a message that Trev Page of Model 3 Owners Club received directly from Tesla. You know, I had re- re- reported, passed along from Trev that that those CPO cars, the certified pre-owned Teslas, would be subject to that new supercharging facility, uh, pardon me, policy, rather than the original unlimited for the life of the car one that they were originally sold with. And of course, you remember, I was not thrilled about that. I had expressed my disappointment in Tesla for that. But the good news here is that Tesla taketh away 
and Tesla giveth back. <laughs> Tesla's head of global sales and service is a gentleman by the name of John McNeil. He replied to Trev Page's reporting of that original statement that he had gotten from Tesla. And Mr. McNeil said, not correct. CPOs carry lifetime supercharging with the car, which is exactly what I was upset about, that, that that's how what it was originally billed as. And then, uh, so that was one tweet. And then, of course, after Trev very understandably followed up amid the confusion that he'd been suddenly found himself in the middle of, McNeil was kind enough to reply again, saying, firm answer, colon, all Teslas purchased with supercharging for life uh, carry that benefit for the life of the car. So that is good. So it's no longer just going to be private sales. It's going to be... So any, any Tesla that's out there right now is going to carry free supercharging for the life of the car, no matter if it's sold privately and, and sold to the next person that way, or if it's traded into Tesla and turned around as a certified pre-owned vehicle from Tesla. So that, that is really good news. I'm glad to see that that was, uh, that I can, I can retract my disappointment in the company on that one. Finally this week, uh, well, actually sort of two little things, but I'm going to put one of them at the very end of the show. The first one is that Tesla has discontinued the ventilated seat option on the new premium seats on the Model S and Model X. There was no direct reason given at the time that I recorded this on Saturday, very late in the evening. But uh, looking at this, thinking about this, I've read a lot about this on the, t- the TMC forums. For me, it's probably one or more of the following three things. Either number one, the seats did not cool very well, because that's what those perforated seats do uh, that the non-perforated theoretically can't, is cool you. So perhaps they didn't work very well, which some owners actually have complained about. Uh, number two, it's entirely possible that simply nobody really wanted them. Uh, that they're just the you know the response wasn't great. And number three, they perhaps I'm not I'm not floating any conspiracy theories here. I mean, again, I've I've seen threads, but I haven't seen any like massive bits, uh, massive complaining. But maybe they were those perforated seats were a little too susceptible to tearing. So again, I figure it's probably one or more of those three things together. And, and really my only particular takeaway from this uh, is a simple one, but one worth mentioning anyway. And that's, I would say just now don't expect perforated cooled seats as an option on Model 3 anymore if it's, if it's being removed from the S and X. Last thing for the week, I mentioned, uh, what a week, I guess it probably was, yeah, it was last week's show, that no audio of the investor Q&A event with Elon and J.B. Straubel at the Gigafactory had surfaced because I, I had hoped to bring you that audio. Well, uh, a, a person or two at the event did, in fact, record the audio, and the audio is out there now. And kindly, Ride the Lightning listener Matt Para uh, got it and cleaned it up as best he could I'm going to put it at the end of the show and uh, just sort of leave for you to chew on if you like. 
because again, there's not a not really anything particularly newsworthy or super discussion worthy out of it outside of what I talked about last week. But it's all it's there if you do want to listen to it. Even with Matt's superhuman efforts to clean it up, it's it's still a little tricky to listen to. The audio quality is not super great. So again, I'm going to slide that in at the very end of the show if you would like to hear it, so that if you wouldn't, you can just press stop and be done and have heard everything else. That wraps it up for this week's Tesla news. I'm going to come right back with a handful, a good handful of excellent Ride the Lightning hotline calls. Uh, I'll wrap up with a few final thoughts, and then again, we'll get to that uh, Gigafactory investor Q&A audio at the very, very end of the show. So stay tuned right after this. All right, time for the Ride the Lightning Hotline, and I am so appreciative that a bunch of you called in with some excellent stuff this week. Uh, Again, anything I can't get to over the course of the month goes into the Patreon-exclusive bonus episode. That's for $10 and up patrons. And in fact, I forgot to mention on last week's show that the one for January did go up last weekend. And featured in that, if you're curious, uh, Frank from Norway, Crush from Half Moon Bay, John Lee from Charleston, South Carolina, Dylan from Montgomery, Tom in Miami, and Andrew from Canada. So if you are one of those folks, you'll want to hear yourself and uh, see what, uh, what the response was on the Patreon-exclusive episode. And for the rest of you, if you are backing at the $10 or higher level, be sure to check that out. That's an extra episode filled with Ride the Lightning hotline calls that posts each and every month on the Patreon page. So let's get rolling this week uh, with, let's see, we've got one, two, three, four, five excellent calls lined up. And I do remind you that if you've got a question, comment, discussion topic, you want to reply to something that I said or one of the other callers said, give a call to the Ride the Lightning hotline anytime, toll free. The number is 1-888-989-8752. That's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. You can also just record something into your phone's voice recorder and email it to me if that's easier as well. You can do that. uh, The email address is teslapodcast at gmail.com. I want to go to my friend Michael from Milbray, who responds to something I was saying a couple, two or three weeks back about I'd sort of compared the, as a non-Tesla owner, as someone sort of, again, you know, that out on face pressed against the glass looking in, I kind of thought that the, uh, the software updates that the Teslas will all get and our Model 3s will all get are, must be akin to being like a kid on Christmas morning where you go, ooh, let's, let's unwrap and let's unwrap the present and see what, what Santa Musk got us today. But Michael from Milbray, has a, he, he wants to bring me that back down to earth a little bit from, and lend some perspective as an actual Tesla owner on that. So Michael, take it away. Hey Ryan, it's Michael from Milbray. I thought I'd respond to what you said a couple of weeks ago about how software updates can be like Christmas morning. You're absolutely right, but I did want to sort of temper people's expectations with a little bit of, um, 
and a little shot glass of cold water on this. Um, just the way that it works right now is sometimes a full day worth of anticipation followed by a little bit of a letdown. Um, this morning, for example, I saw a notification on my phone from the night before that a software update was available. But the updates don't actually install automatically. You also can't schedule or start the installation from your phone. You have to go back out to the car once you see this notification, set up the installation, wait a couple hours for that to happen, but you can't be driving, so I had to wait until this evening to actually install the update. And then wait a couple hours for the install to happen, run out to the car once you get a notification that it's done, see what the release notes are, and they are the same as last time. Often, three out of four times, I'd say, there's a software update, but it's not actually anything um, user-facing. It's just under-the-hood updates. Um, No new features, no new release notes. Christmas morning anticipation, followed by the exact same car that you had the day before. That said, it is an amazing car that, over the last seven months that I've had it, have become so much better, and this is something that just no other manufacturer has seemed to have any comprehension of. So that's where things are. Um, A lot of good, some bad. Just thought I'd share. Take care. Bye. Michael, I appreciate you helping out myself and uh, us other future Tesla owners, you know, us Model 3 reservation holders. I appreciate you helping us to more realistically calibrate our expectations for these things. Of course, while I, by the way, I say of course too much. I need to stop doing that. While Teslas do absolutely get better over time, there's heaps of evidence to support that, it sounds like from what you're saying, Michael, that the closest analog might be iPhone updates, where sometimes, usually once per year in an iPhone's case, it's a big deal update with some real tangible stuff in it that you get get pretty excited about, but that Every other time that it needs a system update throughout the year, an iPhone, it's the update's nothing to get excited about, and it's usually just under-the-hood tweaks. Oh, <laughs> phrasing there, a little uh, for you Archer fans. Phrasing on, on <laughs> under-the-hood, pardon the, pardon the expression. I'm <laughs> talking about a Tesla there, but, but uh, yeah, nevertheless, it's going to be really cool to have a car that, that does get better over time, even if it's... Very small, subtle things going on behind the scenes. Next up is Justin from Berkeley, another Bay Area guy here. Uh, He has a medium-sized dog, not unlike the currently snoozing Maggie the Boxer, uh, and he sort of is wondering how that might work with Model 3. So, Justin, let me hear from you. Hey, Ryan. Justin here again from Berkeley. Um, Just was uh, calling uh, to bring up a topic that I hadn't really thought of until recently seems kind of silly but hadn't really thought of it which is uh, I like you uh, have a medium-sized dog similar to Maggie glad to hear Maggie's doing better your recent uh, uh, visit to the uh, other vet Um, but in ordering a model 3 I already have a model s and my dog fits perfectly in the back has his own space can still fit the two kids have the space in the front but with the model 3 I'm a little concerned about where's the dog going to go um, and hadn't really given it too much thought. I have my name down for reservation, you know, all set for that. But starting to think there just may not be enough space um, in the back of the way it's set up. So I wonder if you had any thoughts about that, being a dog owner, if any other people on the uh, 
by the Lightning Hotline had any thoughts about that and kind of what their solutions may be. Obviously, it may be a moot point and the uh, trunk just may be what it is and have to go with the bigger car. But uh, anyway, just thought I'd bring that up and see if there's any ideas. See you later. Justin, this is actually a really great topic to bring up. Uh, and yes, the the Model 3 obviously isn't a hatchback, despite the quote-unquote trunk improvements that Elon promised us following those sort of concerns and questions that people had expressed after the initial reveal last March 31st. So I'll tell you, here's what I do in my current car, which is a two-door Infiniti Coupe. And uh, I warn you, I'm going to warn you up front, that your mileage may vary on this depending on how your wife and kids feel about it. So what I did uh, is I actually have a, a cheap, like there's like a $30 sheepskin seat cover that I'd bought at Costco years ago, years ago. In fact, I, I bought it to cover, I bought them a set of them to cover the, my DeLoreans at the time seats because they were the original seats and they were dried out and cracked. And then when I eventually was able to redo my seats and restore those, I, I just, they, that, that's when the seat covers ended up being used for dog duty instead once Maggie the Boxer came into the picture back in late 2006. So I put that cheap faux sheepskin seat cover over the front passenger seat and then I strap Maggie in there using, I have a harness for her that you know she wears on her body and it hooks into, there's like a, a screwed in clamp thing that goes around a buckled in seat belt so that if you know if, if we ever ever were in an accident, she's clamped in and she'll you know she's not going to go far. She's going to go like two inches, and then that that harness is going to grab her. So you could put your dog in the front seat of your Model Three, and then put you know one kid in the middle, one kid on the side, and your wife on the other side. Now your wife might not like that, which is, would be entirely understandable. Um, I don't think my wife likes it particularly well either, but uh, you could also get one of those big backseat bench pet blanket cover things that goes over your entire backseat of your car, like the whole rear bench seat, and then you could put uh, the dog back there on one side, you know, left or right, and then your kids in the middle and the other side and then have your wife be in the front seat. So as far as I can see it, those are the only two options for those of us that are Model 3, future Model 3 owners who have, you know, medium-sized dogs that, that would fit in a, in a car, in a, in the seat of a car. So consider it and I'm sure you'll, you'll figure something out and work, something that'll work best for you and your family. But yeah, for us, for us dog people, that is a good topic because again without that hatchback it removes that that rear area uh, as a, as a place to for the dog to ride along in okie doke let's move on to jason from tucson arizona i was just of course in in the in uh, scottsdale for the fantasy camp so jason from tucson calls in from his tesla and he has an autopilot concern jason what's the matter Hi, this is Jason from Tucson, calling for my Tesla. I have a first old problem, but I'm hoping maybe it's an actual legitimate discussion point as well. 
Uh, one of the restrictions that autopilot used to have is that if you were not on a divided highway, it would limit your top speed to five miles over whatever the speed limit was and registered for GPS or the time. A very recent update has changed that to where if you're no if you're now not on a divided highway, this, this the max speed limit autopilot will go is the speed limit. Now, for me, this is a bit of a problem because here in Tucson, I don't know anywhere outside of school zones where people go to speed limit. So my choice is now is if the system does not think it's a divided highway, either from the GPS or it's just the information is wrong, um, my choices are to either turn on autopilot and slow down the flow of traffic or just not use autopilot. Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. I'm wondering uh, what you think the best way to voice this to Tesla. My, my disappointment with this, I've let my service person know, and I've used their website as well. And then the bigger discussion is how do you think this is going to affect all autonomous? Is there going to be uh, – are they just going to go the speed limit and slow things down and annoy people both in and outside of the car? Uh, do you think – Tesla will offer some sort of go with the flow of traffic up to X miles over the speed limit option. Just your thoughts on that. Uh, just wanted to see what you thought. Uh, if the podcast was great, keep it going, and uh, good wishes with the MPP. Thanks. So good news, Jason. And in fact, I already know you have found out about this because you called back to clarify such. But I think it's it was worth it's worth playing your call to others anyway, just as sort of a public service thing. Yes, the whole thing about with autopilot being being uh, updated to actually be more restrictive, so that it would only go the speed limit, and it wouldn't go, it wouldn't even go five miles per hour over like it used to be able to to do. That has already, uh, it's already in the process of being rolled back. Uh, that update is starting to deploy now. Elon had said that 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 was only for f- they're sort of being overly cautious. They were using the fleet learning. And just trying to get it, get everything, uh, you know, with that with hardware too, back up to snuff. So, uh, as to your other, the other part of your question, I I would expect that you'll have more control over h- how fast your Tesla goes relative to the speed limit once once that level four autopilot is ready and the car is ready to drive itself. I'm sure it's going to be able to go faster than the speed limit for the for the very you know, very real, practical, real-world reasons that you yourself mentioned. So, Jason, thank you for that call. A couple more left. Let's go to Dave in the UK, who's checking in on the American tax rebate situation. He's just curious on that. Dave, go ahead. Hi, Ryan. It's Dave here in the UK. Um, Happy New Year for 2017, first and foremost. Um, Glad to hear Maggie's back on the, the mend uh, after last week and um, yeah hopefully everyone has a good 2017 I'm looking forward to the Xbox Scorpio uh, which I'm sure you'll be you'll be interested in as well Ryan and obviously the Model 3 hopefully we'll move closer to uh, uh, some more details and, and release towards the end of the year um, with that said just add one question really and it's not something that affects me in any way but it was really just around the situation in the US with the I think there's like a tax rebate or some kind of tax incentive for the first is it the first 200,000 electric vehicles or first 250,000 cars sold I was just wondering where that situation is because you reported last 
on last week's show, Ryan, that uh, Tesla sales have obviously in- increased again in 2016, and with the likes of uh, the Chevy Bolt coming on the market this year as well, I was just interested to understand where where things were with that. Um, I know that you'd mentioned it before, but I've not heard you uh, refer to it recently. Um, so yeah, just uh, just interested on an update, just purely out of curiosity, really. But uh, yeah, thanks for the show. Uh, really appreciate the uh, the work that you put in, and uh, yeah, keep it up. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Bye. You are correct, Dave. This has come up before, but it's it's good to check in on it from time to time since it does affect everyone, everyone that's planning to buy a Tesla in the future, and obviously. For particularly us Model 3 reservation holders, we're certainly concerned about it because, you know, if we can get seventy up to $7,500 off of our $35,000-plus car, that's a, that's a really nice a big chunk of change back in your pocket there. So uh, it's the, the 3's release. It's, we're expecting it late this year, late 2017, if all stays on track. The sort of forecast, the best, the best guess forecasts have been that it may run out around the time that the first, you know, the early batches, the early Model 3s are starting to get delivered and hit the streets. Unfortunately, Tesla doesn't publicly report the number of cars it's sold per country. So we don't know exactly how many cars are left on the 200,000 car limit that uh, that's that the tax credit is set up on now the best guess my best guess any anybody i could find's best guess is because you got to remember real quick that this is usa deliveries only not canada not uh uk just no nowhere else it's just for us because it's a u.s government thing so it's two hundred thousand cars delivered to the united states the best guess is that Tesla's about halfway there, or maybe just a bit more. So, if, and that's if, 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 big if, if the Model 3 stays on schedule, I, plenty of the first buyers should get a crack at it, because remember, it too, that it phases out. Uh, once they hit 200000 they've got another quarter of full credit before it starts to reduce down over future quarters and after a few more quarters it will then totally be gone after some partial credit quarters but uh yeah it looks like the the early model 3 buyers for sure should have a shot at it and then everybody else will just have to see kind of you know we're gonna have to wing it from there remember too though that it's it is a tax credit if and you only get you're only going to get that full 7500 if you can actually claim that much. So, it's not it's not a guarantee that you're going to get $7500 back. I say that only because I feel that it's better to have and everybody's situation is different, but I feel like it's just better to be clear about it and and set that expectation now rather than than have anybody out there in my uh, kind audience be 100% factoring in a $7,500 rebate into your Model 3 budget. You know, you, you, you probably shouldn't do it. In fact, I would suggest not factoring in the, the tax credit at all in any way, shape, or form. And then if you do get it, it's a bonus. You can either use it to lower your monthly payment, 
to get an option or two that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise, etc. But um, just some, some food for thought again. Thank you, Dave, because that is an excellent topic that we need to try and keep tabs on, and it's a good one to check in on from time to time. Finally this week, it's been a little while since we heard from our friend Lawton in Chicago. So he's back, and he's, as usual, he's got a good question with him. He wonders if vehicles that are in self-driving mode should have some sort of signal to other drivers to let them know that this is, in fact, a self-driving car and not to panic about the person sleep, literally sleeping behind the wheel. So Lawton, take it away. Hi, Ryan. It's Lawton from Chicago. Happy New Year. Congratulations on reaching your Patreon funding goal. All your dedication to the Tesla community is being rewarded. Hopefully, you'll be a few steps closer to reaching the Model 3 of your dreams. With the recent Ride the Lightning phone call about your future self-driving Model 3 taking you to the airport while you're sleeping, I wanted to bring up the discussion topic of should vehicles in self-driving mode have a signal notifying other drivers? I believe self-driving vehicles should since it will help build public confidence in the safety of, of autonomous vehicles when they see firsthand how well they perform. Having a signal would help decrease concerns when they see a car driving itself with no one in the driver's seat while all the passengers are sleeping. What should this signal be? While it would be very cool to have the kit from Nightwire Red Scanning LED Light Strip be the signal, it would probably be more feasible to have the yellow front turn signals and white rear backup lights constantly on. Keep up the great work, and look forward to your thoughts. Well, Lawton, I couldn't agree more with the idea that a, that a signal is a good thing. Uh, ultimately, it's going to be the up to the world's various regulatory agencies that, that will set the rules. It could end up varying country by country. But um, I will say, I, I think keeping those lights on constantly, as you suggest, might be a bit tricky, particularly with the backup lights, because then how would you know if the car is ever going to actually start moving backwards and you happen to be behind it. But maybe, you know, just riffing off of your idea, maybe a steady, like, triple blink of those same lights front and back that, that goes off every five seconds or so. So, you know, the car's going down the road, dri- driving itself, and then maybe the, the, the backup lights and the front turn signals just go, just go flash, flash, flash. Flash, 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 just something like that. Maybe that could be a, a good signal that's not too distracting, but does make it clear that, hey, the car is driving itself. Lawton, thank you as always, and thanks to all of you who dialed in to the Ride the Lightning hotline. Again, the toll-free number that you can call anytime, day or night, is 1-888-989-8752, or you can uh, use your phone recorder and email me a question that you've recorded via voice to teslapodcast at gmail.com. All right, be right back with a few final thoughts, and then I'll go ahead and play that full Gigafactory investor Q&A that listener Matt Parra kindly cleaned up as best he could. So be right back right after this. All right, so I've got a uh, new referral code. I'm I'm only I'm, I know I'm assuming, and we know what assuming does. But uh, if in fact uh, the referral program continues, because I'm recording on Saturday night late, the 14th, and the new one or the current one runs, I think through the 15th, and then 
theoretically, we'll get a, a post from Tesla on Monday that says, hey, here's the details of the new one that's for, for the next quarter or so. Uh, if that happens, uh, I've, uh, by the way, a number of you reached out very kindly offering yours under the same sort of arrangement, like, you know, some sort of sharing of the prizes, uh, and then, you know, you're, you're willing to give me those raffle tickets for the ludicrous SRX. And uh, this, this next one, if in fact it happens, so if it doesn't, just ignore it, but it's going to be Jeff. Uh, Jeff uh, from California, he is uh, he's kindly offered up his, and he, he was the first one to do so. So if the new referral program starts and you wish to purchase a car, get yourself $1,000 off by using Jeff from California's referral code. It is this. It's a short link. Type this into your browser, ts.la slash Jeff2311. That's Jeff spelled J-E-F-F-2311. So that'll get you $1,000 off your car. That'll get me, again, if in fact the program continues, it'll get me a uh, basically a raffle ticket, a lottery ticket for a shot at an actual Tesla, which would be one of the best things I could ever possibly ask for. Uh, Okay. Patreon producers, I want to thank all of you guys. These are you kind folks pledging at the $20 or higher level. It is a a growing number of you, which I sincerely appreciate. I'm going to go backwards this time, just to mix things up. Backwards on the, the list I keep written down here. Michael Lester, Matthew Parra, Logan Willis, Michael O'Prey, Lisa Kaz, David Kittle, Alexi Heft, Michael Lucas, Scott Gillis, John Waltower, Jonathan Wales, Nick Hoffman, David Brander, ZL Klein, George Cassiopo, Wolfgang Obergen, Pete White, DJ Harbaugh, Paul Hussey, and Jeff Bartram. Thank you all so much. If you uh, would like to maybe at least take a look at the Patreon page and see if, uh, if you might be interested in supporting my efforts here on this podcast, Uh, You can take a look at that page, patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. And I remind you, abstractocean.com, makers of fine Tesla accessories, both for the cars and just fun things that uh, you don't need to have a Tesla for. Take a look over there. If there's anything that interests you, put it in your cart, buy it. But before you check out, use the coupon code RTL podcast at checkout and you will get 20% off of your order. That's a pretty awesome discount. So thank you to the folks at abstractocean.com for offering that up to my audience. Follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. Again, the email address to email uh, recorded voice memos serving as phone calls, or if you just want to write me for whatever reason, the email address is teslapodcast.com at gmail.com. Be sure to stop by teslaweekly.com and sign up for Dave T's free weekly Tesla newsletter. He does a wonderful job of summing up everything every Friday right into your mailbox. teslarati.com, stellar job over there uh, that they do of covering the day-to-day Tesla news scene. So stop over to teslarati.com. And uh, that about wraps it up. Most of you subscribe to the podcast already. That's the easiest way to get it because then it's just delivered straight to you every week. You don't even have to seek it out. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, 
tune in or pick up the RSS feed, or if you like, there are just individual MP3 downloads on the podcast's hosting page, which is at teslapodcast.libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. All right, that'll wrap it up for me. Happy electric motoring, everybody. And here, if you're interested, is the Gigafactory Investor Q&A that was held last week with Elon and J.B. Straubel with the audio cleaned up as best as humanly possible by kind listener and Patreon producer Matt Parra. So uh, here is that, and I will see you all next week.
Um, so there's no there's no value to us differentiating that, that we don't do it. But, um, but but I think it's really quite fundamental uh, to to focus on differentiated ordination. Um, and uh, I came to this realization uh, early last year when I was just like sleeping in a factory trying to fix manufacturing issues. It was like hell. Um, so, uh, but I just did sort of backing up a lot of calculations for like, well, how fast does the factory go? Essentially, applying like the rocket equation to manufacturing. Just two plus the rocket equation is like uh, exhaust velocity and the proportion of the rocket that is propellant versus not propellant. So, so you take that approach to a factory and say what percentage of the volume of the factory is active versus inert. Um, that gives you a volumetric efficiency. Uh, and then what is the exit velocity of product from that factory? Um, and uh, like something that's considered to be a very good car factory today is, is, is one that produces a car every 25 seconds. Which sounds like a lot, but that's five meters. Um, and if, if you go, so, so it's only 0.2 meters per second. Um, uh, it, it's, it's scroll, if you, a, a sort of casual walk is one meter per second. So the fastest car lines in the world are five times faster than a person walking. Or five times slower than a person walking. So clearly there's a lot of room for improvement there. Um, I think ultimately one, one should, should be able to get well in excess of one meter per second. You know, at least two or three meters per second exit velocity from the factory. Um, and then the um, volumetric efficiency of uh, automotive plants is usually in the low single digits. Um, in fact, I'd say for our, for our Fremont plants, it's probably like maybe one or two percent. It's crazy low volumetric efficiency. Um, there might be some good plants out there that get up to around five or six percent, maybe 10 percent at, at the tops. Um, now the gigafactory will be more like 30%, maybe 40%. And it's giant. So you can, the output of this thing is just going to be insane. Um, it also makes sense that like, velocity is such an important thing. Like, if, if you're competing, if, if, two, if two companies are competing, and one company can just crank up the speed of the factory um, by a factor of five, and the other company has to build five factories, this is not a competition. And maybe this is obvious from that answer, but you know, we, we definitely are investing in that capability ourselves. Um, you know, we work with a few outside automation companies, but the majority of the core automation, you know, Tesla is designing and implementing ourselves. And you, you, you of course, saw the recent acquisition of you know, Grumman Engineering. That's, a, I think, a key example of us you know, really going deep in automation, and, and especially factory production automation. And Panasonic does some of the same things. So they build most of their own equipment. So, so the things you saw, were in many cases on the cell assembly line, were in many cases designed by Panasonic. It's not outsourced to some other company. So it's really you know, creating true value there. Yeah, you, you really have to be quite vertically integrated. Um, we're going to take this to a level that's beyond River Rouge. Um, in fact, ideally, I'd like to park this factory over the line and out comes a car. <laughs> that's in the limit, that's, what I, that, that's the ideal situation. Um, and right now, and let's say with, with Model 3, um, we have version 0 0.5 of 
what we call alien dreadnought design. It's like by the time it's like really working well, it should look like an alien dreadnought. Um, it should look like normal factory. So, um, but even with 0.5, look at we've got like this global supply chain um, still, um, where things come from all over the world. And this is actually terrible for efficiency um, and for um, uh, reliability in the supply chain. I mean, if you had a global supply chain, you're essentially inheriting global force majeure. So, okay, is there going to be a hurricane, earthquake, fires, floods? Somewhere in the world, guaranteed, at any point in time, there will be these things. Um, if, if you have a global supply chain, that, that means you, you have to take into account global force majeure. It's crazy. So, um, and we've literally had everything from ships sinking to, you know, everything. Factories burning down, um, you, anything possibly imagine, everything. Uh, but trunk coffee that got caught in a shootout between drug gangs and Mexican border. It's like, I just want our trunk carpet, but it got impounded. It's like, I, you know, there's like no cocaine, it's just front pocket. Just seriously, just give us a please, can we have the front pocket? We'll take it, give us your blood holes. Um, <laughs> so, pollution, pollution closures in China. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, this is, I mean, it's sort of really, really ironic. We have 2,000 cars on ships waiting to, 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 to dock in China at, at, at the end of last year. Couldn't dock because the port closure is too small. Now we're trying to look electric cars. <laughs> All right, we can take a question from this side of the room. And if you could please state your name and your firm, please, before you ask a question. Thanks, Jeff. Good morning, Jamie Allerton, Consumer Research. Uh, thanks for hosting us today. It's been a great opportunity. I want to understand that, just sort of simplify your, as you see it now, your key competitive advantages, whether it's time, you know, the time it's taken to develop this factory, whether it's um, automation and the capability there, or whether it's something more sort of, um, you know, sort of integral to the process, uh, whether it's the separator is thinner or the yield is much lower, sorry, um, the reject rate is much lower here versus if you folks that have to go through third parties. Could you just kind of maybe write order, as you see it, to put the, uh, the key competitive strengths? Well, I mean, as we discussed earlier, there's, there's many. It's not a single you know, silver bullet that makes that possible, but you know, the, I would say that the top grouping is really around the technology that's in the factory and in the process itself. And you know, that is not standard. It's not out of the catalog. It's something that we're you know, engineering ourselves and we're improving ourselves with a lot of know-how and a lot of hard work. Um, and what that you know, really means is, we, as we said, we get higher throughput, so we get higher yields. Um, we get you know, lower capex per unit output, which just translates into end cost because, because you're depreciating and amortizing the cost. So that's a, that's a key advantage. Um, if we can fit more in a smaller building, so that's again lower capex of construction, lower capex of the building, um, and, and you know a lot of that technology is also integrating multiple steps of the supply chain. So you know, we're able to you know, find ways to cut out some wasteful processes that really weren't needed when product was not taking a, a very direct path from its you know, sort of predecessors into its finished goods. So we're doing things that are quite unique there that no one else is doing. Um, and again, that translates into lower costs. Yeah, the, the, I mean, remarkable things, a number of cases where it's like somebody's digging a ditch, filling a ditch, and then digging a ditch again. 
Um, so you take lithium hydroxide as an example. Um, we use lithium hydroxide in our cells, but most of the lithium out there is, the default is lithium carbonate. Um, so what they'll do is they'll mine lithium hydroxide, turn it into lithium carbonate, they turn it back into lithium hydroxide for us. Like, okay, that's pretty silly. Um, just, just give us a high-grade high lithium hydroxide bar from that, and don't convert it with one thing and then back into the other thing. Um, but but that, that's, what, that's what was happening, actually, for quite a while. And maybe I should just mention also that some of that technology extends into the infrastructure. You know, it, it may not seem like a really critical thing, but you know, manufacturing cells is very infrastructure intensive. You know, the, the very dry conditions, the cooling conditions, so driving these clean rooms, um, you know, recycled uh, sort of flows of processed you know, chemicals. And we're investing a lot of time even in innovating those steps. So we're actually inventing, you know, and building better ways to make the infrastructure run more efficiently. Uh, and that, again, it, you know, infrastructure cost is a reasonably large percentage of cell cost, so if we can attack that, we get, again, strategic advantages on the, the final product cost. Yes, I mean, our, our rough estimate is that our output per unit volume at the Gigafactory is three times better than the next best factory in the world. Uh, but that's our, that's our rough estimate. And it's a big factory. Uh, <laughs> Um, so it kind of oversimplifies. A few years ago, nobody thought people would be buying electric cars. Since then, you've learned a lot about manufacturing. The industry has learned that you can announce electric cars with more. As you look out over the next couple of years, whose job is probably going to be computer? Are they going to be manufacturing? Or are they going to be Um, I, I don't really think about competitors that much. Um, yeah, I think it's like if you just focus on being as, as good as you possibly can, then and try to approach the limit of physics. Um, then, for anyone who's not trying to approach the limit of physics, you can always. Um, and so that, that's what we try to do here. Um, so yeah, we just take a physics-based approach to. Manufacturing efficiency, and, and I, I think that's fundamentally going to be what um, is our long-term competitive advantage that people just don't, don't realize. I, I'm not telling people that this will be something that's no secret, but um, what's crazy is that in the short-term, our advantage is going to be autonomy. Short-term meaning the life takes two to three years, and the long-term advantage, like say over ten years, will be Tesla will be the best manufacturer on Earth. That's our aspiration. And I, I don't know anyone who is actually even attempting to do that. Um, maybe is there somebody, but I don't know who that would be. Thanks. Uh, Brian Griffith from JP Morgan. Uh, you've said before that the Gigafactory is critical for the launch of the Model 3. I think here today we can pretty much see the Gigafactory is on track. Maybe you can let us know uh, what's going on in Fremont to prepare for the Model 3. What does the ramp look like there? Any kind of update you can give to timing of the Model 3 launch. Thanks. Uh, so the, the, the Gigafactory actually feel pretty good about in terms of the uh, pack production, uh, motor production, 
uh, drive, you know, it's basically it's to drive train power electronics. Uh, that was seems pretty pretty good. Um, but I'd say like one of the one of the riskiest uh, long lead items. Um, it's actually not the super, it's not like the super fast technology stuff here. It's actually some fairly basic stuff. The, the longest lead items are uh, the, the stamping dies. Um, so stamping dies for the A-class body panels and for the seats. That's 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 the best, best knowledge that I have. But um, I, I think I, I mean I I'm going to put six months or so to solve, to solve that. And um, there's there's a lot of machine shops in the world, so uh, I feel you know, pretty pretty good about solving that. Um, and Shula needs to come in on time on this stamping press. So Shula is delivering advanced stamping press code in, in J1. So Shula meets their, their timeline for bringing the stamping press in. Um, then, yeah, I, I felt pretty good about the schedule. Yeah, there is a huge amount of work happening at Fremont. Uh, it's just less obvious, perhaps, than here, because it's reconfiguring inside the factory. So many things are, are moving out of the way, you know, spaces are, are you know, getting ready and prepared. Um, so that, that network is all on the way and generally tracking our course, but you just don't see it obviously from the outside uh, view as much as here. Yeah, the, the, the final assembly for the Model 3 will be far more advanced than for the Model S and X. Um, yeah, um, you know, don't know if you can that right now, but it's... Uh, when you see it, it'll be a step change better than the final assembly for the SNX. Um, and it's a little designed in a way that um, we, can, we can increase the velocity of the line. Like, so that's like the, the best CapEx way to improve. But, I mean, if you just speed things up, then like, you don't need extra CapEx. It's good. Turn them up and go faster. So yeah, frame from the back there. Yeah, I, I'm just curious. Uh, you mentioned you know being on on a scale or, or, or greater than for River Rouge. Why, why do you think that ultimately failed? And then what? Why will this be sort of different? Say the, the, the reason it failed because it's going to get me in trouble. Next question. Um, this, might, uh, this is not so much a Gigafactory Model 3 question, but you recently had um, a meeting with President-elect Trump, and um, there's obviously a lot going on. There's a change in the political environment, and it could affect the electrification of the auto industry, it could affect the solar industry and storage, but just generally, uh, maybe you can just give us some takeaways from that and, and how do you think uh, the U.S. may be changing either uh, adversely or, or maybe not at all? Well, I think the president-elect definitely has a strong emphasis on uh, U.S. manufacturing. Uh, so 
if we're, we're building the biggest uh, factory in the world right here, so um, I think that's something we try to support about. Um, and um, jobs in the US, obviously, we're supportive of that. Um, uh, you know, on climate issues, it's sort of a little bit more muddled, let's say. It's a little, it's a little mixed. Um, but, um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't, I think, I think we may see some surprising things uh, from the next administration. Um, I don't think that this administration is going to take a lot of negative action against fossil fuels, um, but it's possible they may take positive action uh, on renewables. Possible. Well, as far as like, tax credits and things like the, 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 the federal tax credit, the seventy five hundred dollars thing, which is going to wind down anyway. You know, if you're making half a million cars a year, uh, the, the, that tax credit runs out at a few hundred thousand cars. So it's it's not something like all of the tax incentives either um, don't scale uh, or they differentially disadvantage Tesla, which is not. Um, I mentioned this once before at, at a prior talk, um, but. Um, you take like the, the zero emission vehicle credits, which are in 14 states. Uh, we, we get like 50 cents on the dollar for those, um, but uh, the GM can get 100 cents on the dollar by applying it to their existing program. So they, we, you know, if we, we sell them wholesale, they get to use retail. Um, and that's why they, like GM can do uh, the vaults at a theoretical $9,000 loss, but it's actually not a $9,000 loss because they, they get purchased um, in the dollar for reserve credits. So they get the incremental, they, they get $10,000, I think something like $10,000 more effectively than Tesla does for every, every vault. Um, so the real question is really asking, which you're asking is like, how do you continue against those companies when they have such much more advantage? Um, and if, President Lech would, well, that was a state-based incentive, but to eliminate these things, it would actually be advantageous to us, in the case of Zep credits, um, and, um, and then it really doesn't matter for the federal credit because of the scale. So these things all just become good. Thank you. Very good uh, uh, factory tour. We really enjoyed. Uh, three Chaudhary, Global Equities Research. Two questions. First, right behind these uh, walls, we'll be having a uh, Model 3 drive train being developed. What is the logic behind it to have drive train factory right here, rather than traditionally we have been having drive train in Fremont factory? Second question is, uh, there's a lot of speculation and I've been watching, taking classes, uh, in Stanford from Jerry, uh, there is uh, a feeling like Model 3 may have 300 miles range. How are you going to publish that? And one of the key of the good publication. I think we keep, keep up some of our drive with respect to Model 3 announcements. Um, but there's, there's certainly, you know, we have to all the cards on, on Model 3, so you say. Um, yeah. Um, 
I don't, I don't think so right now, but uh, yeah, I mean, as Elon said, there's, there's upcoming announcements, upcoming you know, changes and things that uh, we, we can't completely talk about just yet. Um, but on the motors, the, the reason we moved motor production to here is that we just ran out of room if we want. So, yeah, ran out of room. So, I think we would. Yeah, we would. So, I should. How important uh, is common standards to mass adoption of EVs in your view? And can you comment on 18650 choice versus kind of the, the rest of the industry still going towards a larger format battery in terms of that evolution? Will we either you change or will the industry change um, five to ten years out? Um, well, what do you mean by commas? Do you mean like it's vehicle to vehicle communication? Oh, oh common standards. Oh, um, do, do, well, for, with respect to battery packs, um, I, I don't know. Um, from, from our standpoint, we just looked and said, like, what do we think on a fundamental basis yields the lowest cost per kilowatt hour um, and the, the, the best energy density? Um, <laughs> Of course, other factors like how well to, uh, can you heat or cool it so that it can be effective in hot or cold climates, um, how long it's going to last, uh, its resilience uh, in, in a crash. So that, that's something that's the best thing for the 
as the optical process. Um, but there are real reasons for science and stuff. Um, it's not the body. Why do you have time to talk? It's not the body. 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 It's not Standards across the batteries matter much. You know, maybe if you are really low volume, but you know, especially hundreds of thousands of units a year, there's really not much point. It's probably net negative to standardize because it means you're not really custom engineering you know, for the solution that, that you want to build. Um, and uh, in terms of form factor, you know, I, I, as Elon said, you know, we're basically approaching it from a first principles point of view, and. You know, we've done the analysis pretty deeply. We did this you know, years ago, and we continue to do it you know, every couple of you know, months, and even update it. And uh, you know, right now, we see that as the lowest cost um, and the highest cost performance. Um, you know, type and size of cell. There's a lot of aspects to, cons you know, to consider here. It's the manufacturability, it's safety, cooling. Um, you know, all these different you know con con contributors. And I think a lot of the bigger um, other car companies. Uh, have been kind of focused to be too much on getting a very large cell because it simplifies their module manufacturing. And you know, we're building modules here in this factory just right next to the cell line. There really is no differentiation. It goes straight from you know, cell assembly into module assembly. But if you have a big, if you have different factories building modules versus cells, and you think of them as, as a unit that you have to worry about part count on, you know, then it leads you down the road to bigger cells. Yeah, exactly. Also, like the, the bigger your cell is, the worse your yield is. So, um, I mean, like if you, if you unwrap all the cells, you've got a certain um, uh, surface area of, of electrode. Um, and um, if, if you, in, in the limit, if you said, okay, we're going to make the, just one big cell in the battery pack, well, the, your your yield will be terrible because the odds of there being at least one tiny defect across that whole thing are very very high. Um, so if you can divide the cells up, then you can actually uh, have uh, a much better yield uh, with, with, with smaller cells than you can with bigger cells. Here, like it's similar to like silicon. Like a big silicon wafer, it's very difficult to ensure that the big silicon wafer uh, is defect-free, and that's why they don't make you know humongous silicon wafers. All right, gentlemen, we have time for uh, just one more question. I do just have to make a quick announcement here. Team, let's bring the first bus up. And uh, just as, as though uh, you're in a, on an airplane that's arrived and people have connecting flights, if you are a person that is on a 125 or a 130 flight, let's make room for those folks to get their bags and get on the bus first. So we'll be on the first bus. And with that, we'll go to the last question. Thank you. That's uh, Dave Tamburino from Goldman Sachs. I'm right down here in the front. You got me. Um, wondering what your thoughts are on the recent announcements by most of the major entry into the electric vehicle 
uh, realm, if you will. Do you feel like this is more regulatory driven or if they truly want to be going down that path? Because it seems as if the initial volume stages are going to be very low. Particularly think about GM and what they're producing. We're thinking about 
this is going to be all better. Um, and that's what will be a significant piece of that. Um, but uh, I don't know if you have any more to say about that.